Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this edition of the podcast, we talk LSU's beatdown of Georgia, whether Wisconsin was always a fraud, and if someone is attacking you with a chainsaw, is it a good idea to run them over with a lawnmower? Welcome to the Overreaction Monday edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast. The gang's all here this week. Dan Wetzel, we got Pat Forty, Pete Thamel as well. Uh, as a reminder, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us nice reviews. According to some kind of chart, we're like the 197th best podcast or something, and we are aspiring, endeavoring to make it to 188. <laughs> The damn thing is free. You get what you pay for. You got to at least help us out here. Come on, baby. Let's <laughs> We're on the bubble. We're not even. There's on like the, two you... junior high kids in Sheboygan who are like ahead of us. I feel like we can run them down from behind. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna write on my wrist tape this week. One eighty eight. Let's That's do the it. Goal. Is swim swam ahead of us, Pat? I know you track swim <laughs> swam pretty uh pretty closely. We, we better be beating swim swam. Let's say that. <laughs> right. Swim swam is big. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, the big result of the weekend is not us making it to 197. It was LSU 36-16 over then number two Georgia, a game the Tigers really controlled, if not dominated, throughout. We love to overreact here, of course, and we love to focus on the negative. So while we will get to what LSU did right, let's start with the good stuff. What did Georgia do wrong Bad offensive line play, questionable front seven defense. Jacob Fromm was not that good at QB. Georgia was ranked number two because of last year's team, but it is this year. They hadn't beaten anyone of significance this season. So now with this defeat and the cocktail party looming, is it fair to question, are these guys even any good? How is that for an overreaction, baby? <laughs> Pete, you were in Baton Rouge. What do you think? I was in Baton Rouge, and I agree. I mean, they weren't in that game for a, for it seemed like a heartbeat. Um, and as they were getting completely sledgehammered, they did nothing significant to adjust, adapt. When things are going wrong, and you're a head coach, and you're on the road, you have to do something distinct to change the tenor, to change the momentum, to give your team a little glimmer of hope. And Kirby Smart did none of that. Jim Cheney's play calling was just ridiculous. Uh, they had three three and outs in like a span of eight minutes at the end of the second quarter, and. 
He just kept throwing the ball, and Jake Fromm doesn't throw the ball very well. LSU has, like, two top ten picks in their secondary. Greedy Williams was, like, talking worlds of smack. No one was open for them to throw to. Georgia's wide receivers, who are a pretty good group of receivers, simply couldn't go anywhere. Fromm had no confidence, and then he started, like, running scared and backwards and and just kind of looked like a cartoon character uh, running in circles. I thought they should have brought in Justin Fields. They did bring him in for, like, four-ish sporadic plays somewhere, but, like, bring him in for a drive. Give them another look. Try to stretch the field vertically, which isn't from specialty. Try to try to make him a dynamic runner so LSU can't sit sit and tee off like it did on Fromm. Uh, I just really felt like Georgia, from a game plan and Georgia, from an adjustment standpoint, really offered very little on Saturday. It was very poor performance. I was watching uh, Notre Dame at the same time. And Notre Dame's game was in the second half. And every time I click back to the Georgia LSU game, LSU had the ball like for, for an hour. (laughs) I was like, like, they got new rules down there. Does Georgia ever get the ball? Like what are the turnovers? Like every time I was like, Oh, LSU's got the ball again. Yeah. They scored on all eight of their trips to the red zone. And honestly, the game, they should have more than 36 points because they settled a few times early for, uh, for, for field goals before they punched a couple home later, but it was 36 to 16. It could have easily been 50 to 16. So, so, so Pat, the sec East, I mean, is Georgia just not as not that good. And the sec East is now wide open, certainly with Florida who beat LSU and dare we say still Kentucky in this race, or is this just, Look, a lot of teams go to Death Valley and don't do so well. I'm going to accuse you both of overreacting. What? Settle, settle down here, boys. Goodness gracious. We want to bench the starting quarterback. We want to fire Kirby Smart. We want to <laughs> burn Jim Cheney no, at no the stake. No one wanted to fire anybody. Nobody wanted oh, to fire You burned him at the stake on Twitter on Saturday, Pat. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jim Cheney, did, I, I'm not a fan of his play calling. I was not a fan of his play calling in this game. Uh, he, he does get too enamored with throwing the ball when they need to run and when they're successful running. He did it last year with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, who are absolute stud running backs. He's got good running backs this year. Run the ball more. But, that, look, you could have put Justin Fields in there all you wanted. There is a reason why Justin Fields has not played a ton this season at quarterback. Because, A, Jake Fromm is pretty damn good and has, a, has had a good season and I believe was in the top five in the nation in pass efficiency going into that game. And B, Justin Fields has not showed that he is ready. You don't all of a sudden put a true freshman in in Death Valley when you're losing and say, hey, go save us, man. Go throw the ball 20 times when he's never thrown it more than eight times in a game before. And that was against Middle Tennessee and against Austin P. Now, maybe that's on Kirby for not developing enough him enough, but I wouldn't put him in ahead of Jake Fromm. Fromm has been good. I'm going to go back to Fromm's statistics here. He has had a good season. He didn't. He had a terrible game. He was awful in this game. But you're going to sink or swim with him there. Here's one of the problems. He hadn't thrown more than 23 passes in a game until this game. And all of a sudden, he's throwing at 34, uh, and you are feeding into their hands. And as Pete said, you've got two of the best secondary guys in the country, uh, in Greedy Williams and, and Grant Delpit, who are they're just ball hawks. They're great players. Uh, they cover, they hit, they do everything. Uh, and Fromm was overmatched against them, but Justin Fields sure would have been as well. This reminds me of very much of Georgia's game last year against Auburn. When they went in, it started going bad. It snowballed on them. 
and they weren't ready, but that didn't end their season. Obviously, they ended up being one play away, basically, from winning the national championship. It could be the same this time. Now, the one difference I will say, this Georgia team looks a little more sloppy, a little more careless, a little full of itself. And maybe this is the reality check. I watched them play at, at Missouri. I've watched them play some on TV. It came a little too easy to them. And, uh, and I think that they got the big reality check there against LSU. So, yeah, they're still in it in the big in the SEC East. We've got a three-team mosh pit, basically, between them and Florida and Kentucky, and it's going to sort itself out uh, October 27th and November, November 3rd, and we should know who the SEC East uh, best team is at that point, and I'm going to tell you, I bet it's Georgia. So let me pose this question to both of you gentlemen, then. Do you think Georgia can rebound and make the playoff? Do you think they're good enough? Mathematically, they certainly can. Do you think they're good enough? My answer distinctly is no. They are not physical enough. They don't have the dogs, no pun intended, on the defensive line. And I think Roquan Smith just eliminated a lot of mistakes on that defense. They were sloppy tacklers. Gaps weren't fit. And I just don't think they got out-physicaled. Kirby Smart kept going back to that word in his, in his press conference after the game. Out-physicaled. And you are not going to go beat Alabama, and you are not going to actually beat Kentucky and Florida if you are not physical enough. And that team, to me, 68% of them are first- and second-year players. They are young, and they got pushed around. And I don't think there's enough experience, strength, and talent there to go through and win the SEC. So I think they're out. I don't think they have the playmakers in that front, the defensive front. I thought the defensive line and the and the linebackers were just not as good as when, what you saw last year. They had a lot of playmakers on that team. No doubt. And look, for them now, they need to win the SECs. They probably got to beat Bama. I mean, they can't – two losses. You're not going to get in with two losses. You get in as no. – you could lose the SEC championship game going in unbeaten – or you can lose a game and not have to play in the SEC championship game. But I don't think you can go in and then lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game and go, well, we lost to Alabama and LSU, we should be in. Uh, first off, LSU can box you out. They don't even have to win the West, maybe, like if they had two losses. Um, I just or, – or if Al, it, it just I don't, I don't like their chances unless they, can, they have to win out. And I don't know that this team's good enough to right. do that. No, I, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that game is that the SEC just made itself a one-bid league. Uh, you know, the, the, they had two last year, and there was talk they could have two this year. But, no, for those reasons, somebody's going to have to beat Alabama, and I don't think anybody's beating Alabama. Uh, I, I agree Georgia is probably ill-equipped to do it, although, you know, Alabama's not the physical colossus they were in the past. Defensively, their run defense, they gave up 200 rushing yards to Lafayette. They gave up 172 to Arkansas, 173 to Arkansas State. They just score. And, hey, they're doing it better than anybody, better than any Alabama team ever has, and one of the best teams ever in the history of college football. But it wouldn't be a physical mismatch as much as a, a can anybody score with them. But, no, I think, anyway, the big takeaway the SEC is now one bid league almost assuredly, I believe. Well, here's the scenario, and I wanted to get to LSU anyway. If LSU wins out and Alabama has one loss and it's a good game in Baton Rouge, Alabama absolutely can be the second bid. But LSU's right. got to win out. Uh, so right. Other than that, I agree with you. I don't see the, the the way it positions itself to be a two-bid league unless all hell breaks loose. And, and that certainly can. There's not many undefeated teams right now. A lot of things can happen. Um I, how good can LSU, can LSU do that? I mean, Alabama comes to town a couple weeks. Um, I thought this is a classic LSU team. They were physical. They bullied people. Great skill players. 
And Coach O was like less miles, four for four on fourth down. Yeah, why the hell not? We're at LSU. This is what we do. Um, you know, the one thing uh, as I watched, it's a reminder that even at the end of the less miles era, he was recruiting really well. I mean, there was just talent on that roster. And if you look, their 2015 class was number eight nationally. 2016 was number five. Those are your upperclassmen. So the players are there. And right now, Coach O's uh, coached them up. So, you know, can can you win out and still make a playoff? Uh, I think that's what they got to do. Can that happen, Pete? I don't think LSU can do that. Now, obviously, I've been the wrong LSU skeptic all year. Um, I think offensive line-wise, although that group's getting back together, they're they're just upper-middle class. And they have the playmakers, obviously, in the secondary and at linebacker. Uh, White was a sight to behold going sideline to sideline this weekend. Um, but I really think at the end of the day, up, up front, like deep, deep, deep up front, they're just not, they're just not what they were. And, uh, you know, what, what we remember of them in terms of like the Ricky Jean Francois and the Barkevious Mingos and like the years they just had really good dude after really good dude. Their best defensive lineman is, uh, is, is out injured right now. And I just think that they're very good and they are, they are back. I, I wrote a column on, on Yahoo that basically said like, they looked like LSU again. They were an SEC bully. They pushed Georgia around distinctly, um, can they do it at the highest, 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 highest level? I don't think they're quite there yet. But uh, kudos to them because, I mean, they got pushed around by Troy last year. Let's not forget that. Troy didn't just beat them. Troy ragdolled them. And so it's been a pretty remarkable turnaround. They lost 37-7 in, in Starkville last year to Mississippi State. This was a program that was spiraling away. And now they've they've clearly rebounded back and found a distinct identity. Pat? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean – I, I don't think they can beat Alabama, but I, though here's the one thing that I will say that I think gives them a chance uh, is Alabama right now is just crushing people with that passing game and the big plays in the passing game, and those defensive backs for LSU are going to they're gonna, that's going to be a heck of a matchup. That may be the best matchup in college basket or college football. I'm sorry, <laughs> all year is. LSU's DBs against Alabama's ridiculous wide receivers. You know, I want to see Greedy against Judy. Greedy Williams against Jerry Judy uh, and Delpit and those guys against these just unbelievably fast, sure-handed playmaking receivers and Tua just dropping dimes on them. So uh, they, they do match strength against strength, but I, I just don't think they have the horses to beat Alabama. All right. Another real big one this weekend was Michigan Big House in Wisconsin, 38-13. I've been saying for a while, I actually like this Michigan team. I know bashing Harbaugh is kind of in vogue, and I'm always in favor of bashing, but uh, it played out Saturday night. They have a really good defense. The offense is improving. Uh, the season is is right here. They got past Wisconsin. They got Michigan State Saturday. They got to go at Penn State. If they can get through that, and they're going to be favored in all of those, I think, even at Penn State. Um major showdown looms with Ohio State. So, uh, you know, this is where the program's headed. But that said, let's go a little negative. So we'll start with you, Pat. Was this more Michigan being great or Wisconsin being terrible and a complete disgrace to its preseason accolades where people were – like, like didn't, didn't uh, somebody pick them to win the championship, like win the national championship? 
Some people might. If I was dumb enough to pick them to go to the playoff, I was dumb enough to pick them to win the Big Ten. They are a complete disgrace, <laughs> an utter disgrace. If you want to earn the scorn and enmity of a sports writer, have them go out on a limb for you, and then you underachieve. That'll do it. So I am uh, down on the Badgers for life. Uh, I will... <laughs> Only this life, though. That's, yeah, well, maybe the next one too. I'll haunt Paul Christ and his 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 children for you can for throw snowballs at him like you're calling. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, no. They were. I mean, Wisconsin's just look. They haven't been very good this year at all. They lost to BYU, which was ridiculous. Uh, they were. They've played some very bad first halves all year, and then this game, they were just. Yeah, they. This game was a little bit like uh, Georgia LSU, where like one team was way better. And the other team was just kind of hoping to hang around, and eventually the dam breaks and you're out. And uh, so I, I, I will give credit to Michigan. Like they, they are running the ball with authority, which I didn't think they could do at the beginning of the year. They've got the their run pass ratio where Harbaugh wants it. Uh, they're a very good defensive team, and Wisconsin sucks. So there. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, top that baby. Uh, I don't know if I uh, if I have enough hyperbole in me, but I, I will say this about the uh, disappointing Wisconsin Badgers. There's a uh, bar in Madison called Wando's. Uh, Pat and I have darkened the door there a few times over the years. Back when Wisconsin was relevant enough for us to Ooh. attend games there. Yeah. And uh, Wando's gives out free bacon on Tuesdays. That's yep. one of their big that's one of their big specials. So I decree that. Wisconsin football has been so disappointing that all football players should be banned from free bacon on Tuesday at Wando's. Wow. I just feel like they've been such an utter disappointment. They do not deserve the bliss of free bacon. Wow. That man. is just that's laying the that smack is a down. shin kick right there, man. <laughs> you want overreaction Monday. You're getting it. Yeah, pretty good one. Uh, all right. We almost had a coaching fight Saturday. You know, we're going to cover that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Vanderbilt's Derek Mason and Florida's Dan Mullen got in a screaming match. Started with a nasty crackback block by a Florida player on a Vandy kid. Uh, and Mason and UF defensive coordinator Todd Grantham started jawing. Then eventually Mullen got into it and he had to be restrained. Kind of restrained. Kind of looked like a hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> if you don't hold me back, I'm going to get him. Um Sadly for all of us, uh, they hugged it out later and declared they were actually really good friends. <laughs> Things just got a little tense Ooh. during the game. Yeah, that, that, that sucked. But had they fought, let's go to the tail of the tape here. <laughs> Derek Mason, 49, former cornerback from Northern Arizona, in one corner. And the other, Dan Mullen, 46, small college tight end at Ursinus College, in the other. It's time. <laughs> Pat, who you got? See, you you missed it since uh, you, you've had a week without the octagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I see a look in Derek Mason's eyes that says he would go completely crazy <laughs> on you and like, you know, rip your ear off and like, you know, bite you and all that sort of thing. So I think that, I would go with him just just based on pure snap ability. Like he's going to snap and go completely insane. The one element where I would give a little bit of an edge to uh, Mullen, he's a runner, so he's like <laughs> he's got stamina. If this thing goes a while, <laughs> he can wear out Mason and then take him down, choke him out. Got to get to the championship rounds. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. Got to get to the championship rounds. Pete, who wins? 
I got to take Mason. Uh, Mullen ran the Boston Marathon, so I, I do give him some credit. He probably has some dexterity. He's going to be in shape. But Derek Mason, you ever seen him? He's pretty jacked. Dan's like Dan's built like a runner. Derek's built like a former big time college football player. I, I think uh, I think I think it would be Derek, and it would be pretty swift and painful for Mullen. So I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad first they didn't off. Fight. Uh, major props to uh, Derek Mason um, for much of the uh, Vanderbilt's existence in the SEC. Uh, nobody even knew the other coaches didn't even know their who the Vanderbilt coach was. <laughs> right now we got the Florida co- like Spurrier didn't even know who he's coaching against at Vanderbilt. <laughs> now the Florida coach is like ready to throw down with him. So huge, yeah. huge leap for the program right there. Clearly Mason is winning this thing. He was ready to take on Grantham and Mullen. Uh, Grantham was the one that escalated, and he was the one talking the the what if you can read lips the most. Uh provocative smack on the sideline. That's what got Mason going, and then Mason got Mullen Mason going. Mason was, was like, I'll take you both on, and he's not going hold me back. It's like, <laughs> come on out. I'm right here, buddy. No, no, no. And yeah. he was over on their sideline, yeah. too. That's when you know Mason was serious. Like, on. He, oh, was, yeah. I mean, that was some good stuff. Now, you remember, uh, Pat, on our old radio show, uh, we had uh, Dan Mullen on and uh, after he won a chicken wing eating yeah. contest. So there is some yeah, competitive fire right. in him, and he described his strategy. <laughs> He won a chicken wing eating contest in uh, Starkville. This is when he was at Mississippi State. Yeah. And I mean, those guys, they eat, like in Mississippi, they eat the chicken wing like bone and all. I mean, they just, that's, you don't just, that's that's a serious chicken wing contest, I'm thinking. Uh, all right. So everyone's got, yeah. everyone's got Mason. He's the, uh, he's the Khabib of the SEC coaches right now. All right. Speaking of punches. For now. Uh, Alabama's victory over Missouri Crimson Tide defensive lineman Raquan Davis went ground and pound on Missouri's offensive lineman Kevin Pendleton. Look, I am a UFC fan, so I appreciated the work to the body. Right, you got to loosen them up. Uh, Raquan got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. I mean, he really just wailed away on him. I don't even know how he gets stayed in the game, uh, particularly when the same game Missouri's best defensive player was ejected for targeting. So, Pat, I'm sure you're outraged that some Missouri kid, uh, your alma mater, got got beaten up. Uh, have the refs become so focused? Probably pretty accustomed yeah, well, to that, Dan. I, I, <laughs> uh, the refs become so focused on targeting that they are like, how the heck? I mean, I know a shot to the head is a lot worse than some guy punching your shoulder pads probably. But, like, how, how the heck did Davis stay in the game? I don't know. I think it's a great question. And you know that what happens is when when the big dog in the conference gets some inexplicable officiating break, everybody says, oh, you know, the league office is, is favoring them. And I, I just don't know how you throw three or four shots to the body, full punches. I mean, no, no, he probably didn't seriously injure him, but he was punching him and stay in the game. And to the Missouri targeting, the thing is, I mean, it, it's a running back who's coming and he's ducking his head at you. And you're, you know, I just, the, the whole targeting thing has gotten so difficult, I think. I mean, maybe it's just been difficult all along. But here's the, the question to me, guys, is if there's going to be such a gray area about what's the right call or the wrong call, is an ejection the right penalty? And I understand that they are trying to make this a super deterrent, so just to protect people's heads, which, hey, I'm in favor of. But, man, you got to get some of these calls right, or there has to be at least a little more consensus on what's right and what's wrong. Uh, and I think especially as a defensive player, sometimes people are reacting to you, and all of a sudden you are in a position where 
you're being called for making a play. That's what you're doing. And I saw it in the Washington-Oregon game. Uh, you see it every week. There's two or three calls. You're just like, what are we doing here? So, yes, Raquan Davis should have been ejected. And, yes, there should, I think, be a reconsideration of the penalty for targeting. I'll be honest, I did not see that Alabama-Missouri play because I was uh, head down burrowing writing there in uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, my general feeling on tar- my general feeling on targeting, like obviously safety is the utmost importance. It's a super difficult thing. I have a lot of empathy for especially the safeties and the DBs who have to run, uh, you know, at a very quick pace and make these split second decisions on how to tackle someone when there's just a very small area of the body that they can, that they can tackle. It's a, I, I, I agree with the focus on targeting, but it's, it's a very fraught issue as we saw come to the head in the pack 12 this last week. And yeah, I, I don't, it's not going to get any easier. I would like to see some more consistency throughout the leagues on how it's called. Cause it does seem a little bit arbitrary. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, I, 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 Again, I've never run as fast as any of those guys or tried to hit someone as violently as they do, but it is obviously a very difficult thing to do in the moment to have safety in mind and not lead with your head and be aware of their head, which could move while you start to make your you know tackle position. All right, well, we're not all Neanderthals here on the show, so we're going to talk about the arts, okay? We're going to bring some huh. culture the arts. to the podcast. The arts, yes. Iowa Can't wait State's, to see where this is going. Iowa State's marching band. The band, that's art, right? <laughs> the marching band did a Jurassic Park-themed halftime show, complete with, like, dozens of dudes running around in dinosaur costumes, like, <laughs> rumbling. I'm not sure where you get all these dinosaur costumes or what the dinosaur costume budget is at Iowa State, but apparently they, they got it's it. really big. Meanwhile, Ohio State's band, the best damn band in the land, managed to form three stick figures and got them to do the floss. <laughs> it actually looked pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was not bad. So, Pete, who did it better? Iowa State with the dinosaurs or Ohio State doing the floss? I think you win for, for referring to college band halftime shows as art, Dan. Yes. Like it <laughs> like it came from the Ames Philharmonic or the Ames yeah. Center the perf- for the Performing the Arts. Uh, there is no I, Ames uh, Philharmonic, I guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matt Campbell keeps winning. They may get one. Um, so. New practice facility in a in a in a <laughs> philharmonic. Um, I I have I'd have to go to Ohio State. That looked pretty cool. You know, like it was. Uh, yeah, I'd never seen anything quite like that. And uh, yeah, that was definitely worth its viralness. All right, Pat. No, I got to go with the with Iowa State for for at least having the absurdity right. Uh, you know, I I mean, good for Ohio State. Which first of all, yeah, they've got like nine gazillion people in their band. Iowa State's band, I kind of look at like like Iowa State's football program. Plucky, overachieving, <laughs> underfunded, you know, outmanned, outmatched. They don't have the tubas. They don't have the saxophones. They can't match up with these other people. But there they were, and they're trying to come up with something, and they come up with like 30 guys in Tyrannosaurus Rex costumes out there. It was absurd. But the best part, if you see the video, there's one guy who's not in a costume, and it's like riding a stuffed Barney or something. It's like, what the hell is this guy doing? And he's in the middle of them. So for See, just I would never, sheer... I would never accuse Pat of Stanford bias on the football field, but I would with bands. You were just too used to the Stanford band. 
You have banned bias, so you're biased towards the ridiculousness. I Not am. the art, Pat. Not the yeah, art. art. Hey, you know what? You know what's ridiculous? Those damn hats the band guys wear. I mean, I, love, I mean, <laughs> what is get that? rid of that. What is that thing? The, the dumbest, the dumber, the better. Go <laughs> Iowa State. Corporals. Go Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I mean, do you really think that Iowa State can't recruit a good band? Like, is it that hard to find these... <laughs> Like Davenport Central High School just churns out baritones. I mean, it's, it's like Miami Northwestern. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the Davenport baritone wants to go be in the oh, Ohio State band, man. Of, he wants to do script Ohio. There's he doesn't plenty want to of do, you band know. guys in Iowa. I don't think uh, the state of Iowa is failing to produce band members. I just don't think that's Do you think happening. there's like rivals recruiting rankings for bands? Like they got the best sax guy from, uh, you know. <laughs> Everybody's after the clarinet player from from South Dakota. Everybody. Yeah, yeah real good one. Akron Bechtel, there's a, there's a massive recruiting battle going on here. They uh, they hired the, uh, the band uh, director to be the uh, ops guy. the fbi ought to look into this that's all i know same old story (laughs) (laughs) jenny needs a new car you need that clarinet that clarinet doesn't get to practice on its own yeah oh boy all right um uh, you guys may have missed this uh this one uh but i didn't uh, judging by the uh, intelligence level of this show, it's quite possible we're down a listener. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Unless this guy can download the podcast while in jail, we could be one ninety nine next week. Yeah, we could be. We might be back. Uh, in Bristol, Tennessee, a man was injured uh, and indeed lost his leg okay. uh, when he was run over by a lawnmower uh, operated by his son. Uh-oh. Now, I wouldn't normally make light of such a tragedy, but according to the police, the the dad who got run over was trying to attack his son with a chainsaw. <laughs> so, so the son, we got all sorts of uh, lawn equipment, yard yard equipment. Uh, so the, uh, let me just, I'm just going to have to read this uh, report because I don't even think I can do this thing justice. Uh, this is from the... Uh, the Times News, okay? Okay. A Bristol man has been released from medical care after being run over by a lawnmower, forcing the amputation of a leg. Now he's behind bars for allegedly trying to attack the mower's rider, his son, with a chainsaw and forcing his son's grisly act of self-defense. What a sentence. Oh, who wrote this? <laughs> Rainsmith of the Times News. Just take a bow for that sentence. Grizzly act of self According to Thursday night's press release from Sullivan County Sheriff's Office, Douglas Ferguson, Ferguson, 76, is charged with attempted second-degree murder. Uh, Police were were called. uh, They found Ferguson bleeding from his head and leg because he got run over by a lawnmower. Uh, Meanwhile, questioning of witnesses revealed that Ferguson's son had been mowing on a zero-turn mower. (laughs) I don't know that the zero-turn has anything to do with this. What? <laughs> what? What is that? Did he turn on him? Little, little promotion for the zero turn. Who like that? Is that a yeah. John Deere zero turn or a Toro or what? Is there a link where you can buy it from the store? Yeah. <laughs> Unspecified reasons. Oh, I really want to know the reason. Oh, yeah. Ferguson allegedly tried to attack his son with a running chainsaw. 
uh, the two men had an ongoing feud. The son defended himself against the attack by running over the suspect with the lawnmower. The injuries uh, sustained were a result of the lawnmower striking and running him over. Okay. Uh, So, um, (laughs) I guess I got to turn this thing into a question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Like, I I don't know if you can overreact to that. Could anything suck more than being 76 (laughs) headed to prison for the rest of your life and only having one leg? Because you were in a feud with your son and you were trying to kill him, but he ran you over. Now, that'd be pretty bad. And how about this? Very bold by the son. Now, I know he probably did not have a lot of options, but if someone's coming at me with a chainsaw, (laughs) particularly a 76-year-old, I'm running. Yeah, right. I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to run you over. Because you'd think even an old man could dodge a lawnmower. <laughs> Apparently, I mean, not this was one. like an old style joust, like those old <laughs> the knights, the horse, like <laughs> something's got to give here. <laughs> Here's my thing: you, you you get your like amputated, and then they bring you to jail. Yeah. How does that work? Like, what's the logistics on that? Like, okay, uh, legs off, bring him over the pen, <laughs> Willie. <laughs> it's a pretty bad day, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amputated, comma, jailed. Oh man, yeah. not good. That's, uh, you know, I just did. They go to the to the to the equipment shed and just come out with whatever they got. Zero you know? turn. I mean, like, they, they they put the the luminol, got the blood on the blade, and caught him. Yeah, I ran him over with my zero turn. I love how the guy had to get that in the store. Anyway, uh, if you're having a bad week, at least you ain't this guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel good. That's your, your feel good family story of the yeah. week right there. D- David Price will take solace yeah. in that. <laughs> could be worse. It could be worse. Could be that could be whatever the yeah. 76-year-old guy's name is. Um, all right. Small sample size Heisman. Who won the Heisman if there was only a one week event? Uh Pat, let's start with you. Okay. I'm uh I'm going way off the board here. I'm going with Joshua Kelly, running back UCLA. Ran for 157 yards and three touchdowns. And the big thing is UCLA finally won a game. They'd been winless under Chip Kelly for a half a season. Now, hey, maybe they found somebody that can help them get get in the end zone. And I've got a feeling, just a feeling, that maybe now this is the ignition switch and Chip Kelly plays spoiler in the Pac-12 South in the second half of the season. So good job, Joshua Kelly. You're the small sample size Heisman for me. All right, Pete. We're going to continue our West Coast bias with the Stanford band and uh, UCLA. And I'm going to take Oregon's Dylan Mitchell. Eight catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown against Washington. I think he's been one of the most underrated and productive receivers in the country this season, especially in big games. He annihilated Stanford earlier in the year in a game Oregon should have won if they didn't bungle clock management. So I am going to uh, stay best coast after dark and give it to Mr. Mitchell. All right. Well, because this is an opportunity to gloat about my genius, I am going to do it. Here we go. Small sample size Heisman for the second consecutive week, Brock Purdy of Iowa State. I told you guys this guy was good. 18 to 25, three TDs. He outshined Mr. Heisman contender Will Greer of West Virginia to deliver what feels like Iowa State's annual upset of a national title contender. Huge win for the Cyclones. Uh, This was Purdy's first career start. Uh, his first appearance was last week. He makes things happen. He was a late-blooming three-star recruit from Gilbert, Arizona, who chose Ames. 
Hope you packed a winter coat, son. Uh, probably would have gone to Boise State if not Iowa State had jumped at the end. Alabama brought him in on a visit, but huh. he still went to Ames because there was playing time and wanted that over Boise. Uh, so, look, Iowa State, I'm not saying it was like a priority recruit for Alabama, but when you're Iowa State, you take whatever you can get. And uh, for a freshman, you get a QB like that, that's good stuff for the Cyclones. I bet the band. I bet the band Salt closed the deal for him. We heard about the Tyrannosaurus uh, halftime. Said I want to go there. He was a package deal with the tambourine player. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. Tambourine player. It's a big week in Ames, man. Big week. <laughs> All right. Look, we true. We are very negative, and we're horrible people here. We just absolutely <laughs> gleed and laughed at a son running over a dad with a lawnmower. So we are what we are. We do try to be show that we are more than that. So we, this is our Say Something Nice segment, even if it often goes awry. Pete Thamel, say something nice. Well, we have the first in-season firing. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Unemployment. Nice. <laughs> Bowling Green coach Mike Jinks was fired after going 724 in three seasons. All of us who follow this on a granular level knew this was coming. <laughs> and I will say this to Mike Jinks. He's getting a million dollars for getting canned. He can do nothing for the next couple of years and get a million dollars. He had never walked into the state of Ohio. He had never been there. He never even like stopped at a rest stop before Bowling Green hired him. He was a high school coach in Texas. He was Texas Tech's running backs coach. And so I'm going to say something nice about Mike Jinks. Like, you got a million large for doing nothing coming to you. So congratulations. You, he really had <laughs> never been to Ohio. He had never been to Ohio. I read that in the great... Toledo Blade today, and I vaguely remember it from three years ago when he was surprisingly hired by an athletic director who, not surprisingly, uh, is not an athletic director yeah, anymore. Awesome. He works for Learfield. <laughs> not good. That was a bad hire from Central Casting. He took all Texas guys with him, and yeah, they didn't know Toledo from Akron, so it wasn't good. Deal. <laughs> all right, Pat, say something nice. Uh, that that was pretty left-handed nice, I will nice say. I'm going to be, not, <laughs> really I'm gonna be nice sometimes. That. <laughs> it was not nice. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say something nice about college football as a whole because this weekend was a lot of fun. There was a bunch of upsets. There were unranked teams beating ranked teams. There was a bunch of near upsets. Uh, and this is what makes the sport fun to me is the random acts and these, you know, the unpredictability of it and the crazy stuff you never saw coming. Uh, so I, I, just, I had a lot of fun watching games this weekend. It had been a, bit, a pretty predictable season in my opinion. You know, it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State. Oh, really? That's pretty surprising. I mean, when Notre Dame qualifies as the fresh face, then then there's not been a whole lot of uh, of turnover. But this weekend, you know, we had as we had Iowa State winning, we had Miami lose to Virginia. Uh, there was upsets all over the place. There was near upsets. Baylor almost took down Texas. Um, uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, so I am I am pleased with what happened in college football this last weekend. Hopefully, there's more to come. All right, I'm going to say something nice about Bill Snyder, 79 years young, Kansas State, 31-12 victory over Oklahoma State. What I'm really saying is something nice about Bill Snyder so I can say something mean to you two. <laughs> last week, you crapped all over the guy. I just pointed out he's probably due. He's done. My God, you wanted him fired. You wouldn't put him in charge of the bingo lead at the the retirement of home. (laughs) You called him selfish. The game had passed him by. The mullet went up there and got stomped. 
Mr. Cool, Mr. 40 or 50 or however old he is, Oklahoma State. Nah, 31-12. K-State still had a little bit, little bit of heart left. And to you, Mr. Snyder, I'm with you. Good job. That's saying something nice. These two jamokes here are terrible. <laughs> Extend him to age 95, Dan. Go. Good call. Hey, he did one good thing. He beat Gundy. I don't mind seeing that. I don't mind that. <laughs> All right. That's our podcast. I got nothing else. That's it. Uh, yeah. Subscribe. Leave us a message or a review. And uh, check us out midweek. And, of course, Race for the Case late week. And uh, talk to you later.